Welcome back. You are listening to Tuned In with Intersys, hosted by Johnny Romero. This is episode number six, Trends, Bends, and Lens. Enjoy. leads to my question of what you've seen as far as trends um, over the past year, year and a half regards to language access, the need for trained professional medical interpreters. Uh, what, what have those been if you've seen any that uh, you'd like to share? Yeah, so I think the obvious one that everyone is thinking about, and it was a trend, honestly, before the pandemic, it's just the pandemic increased the trend exponentially, and that's remote interpreting. Um, I think remote interpreting is a, it's a huge benefit to a lot of people, and especially in the pandemic, it became a necessity. Um, so a lot of times we say, oh, only in person, in person is the best, and I absolutely agree with that. Um, I'm sure that makes it, uh, or I know that that can make the connections a lot better. However, when it's not available, we need to have these things to rely on, and interpreters also need to be trained on how to do that. Um, I wasn't in a role where I worked directly with interpreters, but I do still talk to my counterparts back at Spring Institute. And that was one of the hard things that, you know, getting that everyone had to deal with was getting the interpreters to have the internet and the computer and the camera and the microphone and making sure it's clear and a work environment where, you know, they're not distracted and all of that. So, and also just training for remote interpreters. There's not a lot of, again, standardized across the board trainings, the companies kind of do what they want. Um, so they provide their own trainings, which may be different from company to company. So that's one big one. So I think um, it, it was uh, nice to be able to, you know, real time, test things out, what works, what doesn't work. And in the beginning, I think everybody was, you know, struggling to uh, identify what those gaps were, whether it be the technology or connectivity and all those things. And then at this point now, it's become so commonplace and natural that, um, you know, post pandemic, when things uh, kind of stabilize a little bit more that everyone's looking forward to, it makes that all much more easier to, to use these different um, modes of either be interpreting or again, in general, conducting business in a way that makes it convenient for everybody. And I think it um, overall, by including those tools, makes the experience for the client a lot more complete in my opinion, or it, it ensures that they have the services that they need at any given point. Because again, not, not having to travel or you know, be someplace and, and you know, physically uh, allows some, uh, quite a bit of flexibility for everyone involved. So I think there's a lot of gains there. Yeah. I was gonna mention one other trend that I've yeah. seen um, that I think is really interesting. And I think there's a lot of views on it. So it's a little bit controversial, um, but it has to do with the advocate role of the interpreter. Um, if you've seen recently, MCIHC published their paper on advocacy, which goes very into detail of what is advocacy according to MCIHC and what isn't. Um, and on the other side of the spectrum, you're seeing a lot of uh, cultural navigator, patient guide type of roles 
um, or like bilingual patient guide or things like that um, popping up in different hospital systems. And this is a service that has been provided um, at some hospitals for foreign patients, for example, who come in from a different country to receive some surgery or something. Um, but it wasn't necessarily a service that was provided for the immigrant community or for any LEP community. Um, however, now with, again, the, how the pandemic has highlighted these disparities, a lot of places are realizing that interpreters might be capable of doing a little bit more as far as helping guide the patient, giving them the resources, and that this um, advocate role might be a little bit limiting in some ways, or our standards of what we say an interpreter can and can't talk about might be a little bit limiting and that there might be ways to help um, guide the patient better in a way that will then teach them to utilize the healthcare system in their own way. I think this is kind of a controversial idea, but this is exactly what our training connecting to care is all about. Um, is we explore this role of the advocate and how far can the interpreter go in order to help the patient the way that I think many interpreters already do. They just don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, it's a natural human thing to do, but how can we do that in a professional way? Um, so I think that's a big trend and it's definitely a, an interesting conversation and debate that a lot yeah. of people think about. That, I, I hadn't even thought of it, but it's very true what you explained because um, it has put more emphasis on what the interpreter's role is as, as it pertains to that controversial part, which is advocacy and, and professional interpreting. So I'll include a reference as well here or here, and you can go there and check it out. Um, I think that's uh, something that I'll, I'll keep an eye on myself because uh, I can see that it's a very you know, unspoken reality. Um, that uh, we're always kind of put in those situations where, again, we're human, we want to care for people, uh, but at the same time, knowing how to make sure that we don't uh, cross the line of professionalism and, yeah. and stay in our, our appropriate lane, so to speak. <laughs> That's why I think that paper is a really good, um, it's a really good part of the discussion because it really does outline, you know, what is okay, what is not. And there's a lot of examples in there. Yeah, awesome. Thanks. Thanks for that. Um, so, I want to respect your time here, but um, I do have a few more questions, if that's okay. Yeah, I want to, and um, you know, you already answered um, the other question I had here, which as far as the trends and what you see kind of going on post-pandemic. The, the other part of the question that I was going to add is if there's anything you've learned. Uh, it doesn't have to necessarily be specific to what we talked about, but just in general, uh, what has the pandemic taught you? I guess um, if you wanted to share anything that yes. uh, you feel that you've you've gained from it. Yeah, um, I think the biggest thing I've learned is you talked a little bit earlier about the work-life balance. And I think a lot of people um, say, oh yeah, I, I'm gonna continue working from home afterwards. I have a lot of friends who are looking for jobs. I have friends who you know, just recently got out of college and their first working experience has all been virtual, right? Because they've never had a chance to go into work as uh, an adult, so to say. Um, and I have a lot of friends who don't want to go back to work or they're looking for jobs where they're able to work remotely. And for me, I think that the biggest takeaway from this is that working from home can feel like living at work, um, depending on the type of personality you have. And whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, I think my type of personality is if I have it in front of me and it's a project, then I just want to keep working on it. 
um, which that's kind of what it's turned into me is living at work now. So yeah. I'm trying to make as much of a separation between that work and life balance. Um, but I've realized that for me, I have to be very aware of that, um, that I don't let work take over my entire life. Um, yeah. I think that was one of, my, one of my biggest takeaways, kind of a personal thing I learned. I think back when I first started working remote, this was actually in Pennsylvania, having spent almost 14 years in a typical office environment, open office environment. So I got to work with teams of people and I really enjoyed that. Um, and, and I think, you know, uh, you, you know this already, I'm very sociable and, and I enjoyed it. So going from that to having to completely work from home uh, or different employer, I thought it sounded great. And, and um, you know, I was like, oh, this is on paper. This is like the dream job. I was getting paid well, I got to work from home, but I, I agree completely with what you said because my, my first experience, um, which was back, I guess, in 2014, uh, the latter part of the year, I lost weight. Um, it affected me in ways that I had not expected, but it's exactly what you said is the separation of where do I turn off the switch? And I didn't enjoy being home anymore because I was like, now my home is my office. So it was a very big uh, shift. And I think a lot of people will appreciate that because if you've never worked remote and you are in a typical work environment where you're interacting with people, which a lot of people do, to make that switch to the other extreme uh, is shocking for the system. And I think it, you're, you're right. Um, we can probably have another discussion about self-care and uh, the importance of you know uh, a friend of mine one, one thing I'll just quickly share. He's, some people actually will leave their house in the morning. It sounds silly and drive around <laughs> and come back home just to mentally switch gears. Uh, routines that we get into, keeping a good routine is even more important when you're working remote because if you don't have that, there is no separation. It just all blends together. So that helped me a little bit and hopefully it helps whoever's watching. Um, and maybe that kind of gives me an idea of another conversation we can have because I think there's a lot of helpful things for self-care and a lot of uh, people have suffered. Um, mental you know, health has been uh, a focus as well. We didn't really touch on that, but um, that's also another conversation. People have definitely been impacted by having to stay home and do all that. So I agree, yeah. well said. Um, now that we have half the year already, which is crazy, 2021 behind us, uh, what is one goal that you'd like to reach by the end of, 2021. So naturally, when you say one goal, top goal, I, I, I have a work goal, I think. And then I also have like a life goal. I've been really trying right. to kind of separate the two things, right? So kind of to the what you just talked about with mental health, um, I think it, I mean, the, the statistics and the data show that, you know, suicide rates, the suicide hotlines and all of those things are increased, um, I think, across the country. Um, but definitely here in Washington, I participated in a webinar where they talked all about the different uh, mental health statistics and how they've increased in during the pandemic. Um, so one goal that I have, at least professionally, is to try to get this mental health training finished and launched. Um, that's our plan. That's our goal. Um, and I do look forward to it because I do think there is a need for it. And this last session that we taught of the 64-hour version of the Bridging the Gap curriculum, which includes the mental health portion. Um, we just had a lot of great conversations specific to the pandemic, specific to people's experiences and what they're seeing you know, on the, on the ground, so to say, at the hospitals and who the people, um, how the people are reacting and what kinds of 
things you might hear. It's important for interpreters to be trained and ready for that because it's expected that we will be seeing a lot more of that um, kind of as people come out of their houses and reveal what we've all been hiding behind their closed doors. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's great. You said um, a personal one? Personal one is actually, um, so I, I was trying to, I'm looking at my notes and it's literally just like how I was thinking through the question at first. I said, maybe my goal is just to get through this year, this point. I'm like, we just got to get through it. And I'm seeing all this news about the Delta variant and I'm, I can't, so who knows what will happen. I did have a goal earlier in the year of running consistently, um, but with the heat that got destroyed and also I um, hurt my knee a little bit, so that didn't work out. So then I stuck on this because I think it's achievable and I'm going to enjoy it and that's to travel. Um, the only travel that I did during the pandemic was to see my family. I know many people didn't have a chance to do that. Um, and if you've heard throughout this whole video, I like to go places. Sure. So I would like to actually travel. So I'm kind of trying to plan a trip for maybe the end of August, kind of seeing okay. how. Very good. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of people in that line, right? Of like getting getting out somewhere. Um, I'm one of them too. Last question I had here: um, if you could travel on that train of thought anywhere in the world, money's no object. Where would it be, and why? Um, so of course for this one too, I don't just have one answer. I can't just come up with one because I have too many places I want to go. So, uh, top of the list. And I think most likely the next place I'll go is back to Denver. Cause I have to see my family. I have to see my nephews. They're growing up and they're going to forget who I am. Um, which is the same for Budapest. I need to go back to Hungary. I actually haven't been back in an embarrassingly long amount of time. Um, just unfortunately, because it costs a lot, it's a lot of vacation time. And we just, I, I don't like to go back to Europe for like a week of insomnia and then come back to work. Mm. Um, so makes total sense. <laughs> unfortunately, every time I get the opportunity to travel somewhere, I end up going somewhere new instead of going back to the places that I've been. So it's been a really long time since I've been back there to see them. Um, and then within the U.S., South Carolina, New Mexico, um, just because I have some friends there. But my real biggest, if I could travel anywhere in the world, I really want to go to Botswana. Botswana, um, okay. I don't know why. I just, again, have this idealized version of what it's like, and I'm sure it's absolutely different than that. But I, I would like to go to the middle of Africa. Very nice. That's exotic. I'm sure it's not the geographic middle of Africa, but yeah. um, a, lot of, a lot of the animals live, a lot of the cool languages are, a lot of the, um, that, I don't know, I just want to go as deep as I can. Very nice. Excellent. Well, no, thank you for, for sharing all of that. Um, what about you? I want to hear the answer. For me? Yeah, for, for me, you know, I think one place I'd like to go if money was no object would be Tahiti, uh, where they have the little huts on, on the like, water. Yeah. Um, I know it's super expensive. So, uh, quick before the water rises too high. Yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, that would be like my dream, just that where probably there's no connectivity and that'd be okay. Disconnect from everything and just um, take everything. I'm a beach bum. So being from Puerto Rico, my family's from the Southern coast, Salinas, a lot of seafood restaurants, the ocean. I, I would literally see it every day because it's right along the coast. And um, yeah, something with water. I, I, I could easily spend my time just looking at the ocean and just, uh, you know, taking my naps and 
a hammock, uh, a cold drink, and I'm, I'm good to go. I think that would be my ideal vacation. It doesn't take a lot. I don't need uh, to do much because I'm already, as you are, very busy. So I think that would be my ideal, like Tahiti. And I think they fly you in. I've, I've, I've read about it a little bit where it's um, not the easiest place to get to, but uh, it, it's from everything that I've seen in videos and pictures. I mean, like, that has to be probably the top of my list. So maybe someday. That when we get rich from this interpreter training business, right. we are going to do a <laughs> reunion in Tahiti. Exactly, yeah. A reunion. That, that's a plan. I like it. I like it. Then we can uh, write it off, right? As, as a business expense. <laughs> yeah, we're working. We're working. That's, a, that's a, good, a good plan. I like it. Well, um, thanks again. I know that uh, your time is is valuable and it's been fun catching up. And, and if there's, um, again, uh, opportunity for those watching, uh, there's going to be, as you've seen throughout the video, links and, and emails uh, can be sent to the cross-cultural healthcare program. Uh, I'll make that email also available for those of you who want to contact them. It's on their website, but a lot of that will be available here. If you like this content, please like, subscribe. It allows me to improve uh, the content and also hopefully add value to uh, the small business community, the um, non-English speaking communities that we focus on is really helping them have access to resources that they deserve so that they can, again, continue to uh, benefit from everything available, uh, regardless of um, their condition or social status. So thanks for watching and listening. Please like and subscribe and don't forget to smash that bell for notifications.